With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. There's a, a confluence of things to discuss. Gambling, politics, um, the fact that, you know, Jordan's um, popularity popularity peaked during his first three-peat because of the Dream Team and at least how it's being sold to us. That's the reason that he walked away the first time. So there's, there's a lot to dig in. There's a lot to buy into. Uh, but I would say this, there's not going to be another Michael Jordan. And I think it, when LeBron looks back on why he will never be regarded as Michael Jordan, last night was actually a really, really telling episode or two as to why. Jordan's ability to stay out of the political fray that the social jujitsu, as it's been said to me, right? Where you feel like you're in the realm there. And he's like, look, I just, I'm not into, I wasn't into politics. 
And Jordan can hit us with the, I was just into being a basketball player, but he also played golf all the time. He liked to gamble all the time. He did have other business interests. He did have a family. Like this idea that this all, he was not all he did was basketball. He had Kobe Bryant. All he did was basketball, right? When he played in the NBA, there were a lot of people, myself included, before he got hurt and tore the Achilles tender, like, man, I don't know what Kobe's going to do once he gets done playing. And then when he got hurt, suddenly he discovered there's a whole new world out there. That Kobe didn't play golf. He didn't. Kobe didn't play tennis until after he retired. Jordan did. Jordan was a competitive junkie looking for the next fix. Ping pong, golf, game, cards, whatever. So this idea that the reason that Jordan didn't get into politics was he didn't have the bandwidth for it. No, he might not have had the appetite for it. But part of it was also the time, okay? In the 80s and 90s, even when he was trying to be pulled in the political fray, it wasn't one as divisive. And two, we didn't, we didn't act the same about athletes. Like somehow they had to be. They, they had to be uh, social justice warriors. Right now, remember now, if you don't, if you don't get into the political fray, somehow you're not down with the cause. I, I understand that when you're black and it's the South and it's, you know, it's your home area, an area he now owns an NBA team. I fully understand that there's a different level of commitment that's desired from, from successful African-American men. I got it. Right? I, I can, in fact, relate you know, being a Jewish man, like if there was, if there was a Senator or a member of the house of representatives who was blatantly anti-Semitic, I would probably enter in the political fray simply to get him out of office. Like I, I get it. But the fact was that Jordan was able to stay above it. And I don't know if he would have then. I, I don't think he would have been able to be as involved in gambling as he is at now, as he was then. And if you're, if you're, if you're LeBron James, you look back, you're like, what do I have to do? Well, obviously he lost some NBA finals, but there's more, more than that, right? Leaving Cleveland, Jordan never left Chicago. And while he was under a long-term contract, the fact is that if a guy says, I don't want to play here anymore, they can, in fact, you can force a trade whenever you want. Jordan didn't leave. LeBron did. Came back, still wasn't right, left again. I don't think LeBron will ever get a pass on that. Even if his intentions were pure and he's been successful both leaving and returning. LeBron didn't enter the dunk contest. And the dunk contest has changed and evolved now as opposed to back then they were like mythical characters. And the reason that last night's was so poignant as to why they'll never be another I would say there's threefold in the things that I saw. One, Jordan got in on Nike before Nike was Nike. And he basically built a brand by himself as opposed to LeBron, who's continued to help Nike and build on the Nike brand, but one, his shoes are boats because he's more of a big guy. Two, it's already been done. There's already the Jordan brand. There's already Kobe shoes. And now he's kind of third. He still he even wears LeBron's number. Right, or it's Warren LeBron's number, like 23. I mean, Warren Jordan's number, that's 23. Um, I, I obviously can't go back in and win NBA finals. 
can't go back and get into dunk contest and you can't get into them now. And even if you won a dunk contest, it wouldn't be the same as when Jordan did. The The branding isn't the same. The commercials aren't the same. The, the, the league isn't the same. No matter how popular it is now, wasn't, it's not as popular as it was back then when in the early 90s, go back and look, the NFL struggled with popularity and the NBA was king. That's not happening now. And then, you know, last night's politics. Once you enter into politics, you can't go back. I mean, think about the, the Hong Kong stuff, you know, and how LeBron chose to stay out of that discussion. He got worked by people like, wait, you have all these political aspirations. You say all these things like a politician. You want to support certain politicians. But now when it calls into question people you do business with, now all of a sudden you want to stay out of the fray. That's not the way it works. Right? That's not the way it works. I mean, even, and I laughed at it at the time, the idea that he's any sort of Muhammad Ali character. Remember, Muhammad Ali gave up the three prime years of his career because he, he, he would not fight in a war that he felt like was not just. Like, that's a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. So I, I look at last night, and then, you know, when they play in the dream team, First, because it was the dream team. Second, the, the, the thorough dominance. And third, like LeBron's whole way of trying to make everybody better and everybody happy, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't Jordan's way. And that's not LeBron's fault. That's just the makeup of who they are. But there have been several times on several different Olympic teams when Kevin Durant's been the best player, not LeBron James. You know, Carmelo Anthony has had a stretch where he was the best scorer. When it was the dream team and you had the greats of all greats in the NBA, all playing, there was one unquestioned best player. That was Michael Jordan. And he chose to play and defend at a level that challenged everyone else every time he took the floor. Yes, the documentary has some goal, uh, glaring uh, holes, but we're not going to point them out because it's the only thing on that's created or helped foster the continued growth of this mythical character that is Michael Jordan. And the specific time where we didn't go and look at somebody's personal life, we didn't care about the gambling or the drinking or anything else, for the most part, Atlantic City as more the exception than the rule. The fact is that there will never be another Michael Jordan. There just isn't. It doesn't mean that there'll be another LeBron James, but James chased, he's chasing more than ghosts. He's chasing an era which is gone. He's chasing a style of journalism which is gone. Hell, you had Ahmad Rashad who rides with him to the games. He had his own personal interviewer broadcaster. He, he basically started the rise of Nike. He won six championships and never lost in the finals. And he got a pass on a lot of things, some because he'd earned it, some because of the time. We seem to forgive and look past personal transgressions like addiction and gambling. On the other hand, we can't seem to look past anybody who has political aspirations or political feelings. That's just the way in which we're wired. Like, look, here's the, here's the easiest parallel or, or guy, case study I can tell you as to how politics scare the bejesus out of most of America. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a great player. He's arguably the greatest college player of all time. 
He won six MVPs. He won six NBA titles. And and he's a, he scored more points than anybody in the history of the league. Kareem's never been a commentator. He's never been a guy you want to have as part of your shows. He's never been really the iconic figure and picture of what uh, an NBA player is supposed to be, although he should be. He's an activist, author. He's highly educated. He's brilliant. But he puts people on the defensive because he's an activist. And when you challenge people politically, it becomes increasingly divisive. And when you're divisive, you're not embraced. And that's the difference with Jordan. That's the brilliance to the Republicans buy sneakers to comment. Because he's right. And he was right to stay out of the fray. And he was right to not endorse somebody that he didn't really know all that well. Doesn't mean that somebody else who is politically active is wrong. Make sure you mark that down. Like, I'm not saying if you want to use your platform to go into politics, you can. On the same note, if you don't, you don't have to. And it is easier. It is easier to embrace. You are more human. You are less divisive when you don't. I didn't make the rules. I'm just telling you what they exactly are. You have to acknowledge Jordan's universal popularity, at least in some part, is because he never picked a side politically. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. 
like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. He's the one and only Bob Costas. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Bob, thanks so much for for, for taking time uh, with us. Um, so far, six episodes into this documentary, what's your kind of overall takeaway? Well, first of all, I think it's fantastic. It's extremely well done. Jason Hare, who headed up the production and his entire team, they gave them all the time they needed. They gave them remarkable resources to work with. And I think that they've maximized it. This is just great storytelling. I think it would have been extremely well received under any circumstances, but now, with no live sports, and granted this isn't live, but it is original, it's material people haven't seen, there's a real buzz about this, not just among avid basketball fans, but because Jordan and the Bulls transcended all that. They were a cultural, a pop culture touchstone in the 90s. A lot of people who don't really follow the NBA that closely are still watching this very avidly. Oh, yeah, and there's so many people who have worn the Jordan brand for years, but they don't really, <laughs> they weren't even alive or weren't old enough to, to take in the Jordan era are learning really what this was about. And to those of us who, I was a kid during it, it, it brings up old memories. And for you who are you're working at NBC, obviously uh, this has to be kind of vivid in your, in your vast memory bank. Um, we've gotten towards the end of the first three, Pete. We're leading up to retirement. What was your sense? Because the, the picture they're painting is Jordan was just tired of it all, and that's why he walked away. When you go back to the Phoenix Suns series, what was your sense of Jordan and what his future was going to hold? Well, I think we were all surprised when a guy who was only 29 or about to turn 30, I forget the exact dates, but let's call it 30 to have a round figure, and 
see by acclamation greatest player in the game that he would walk away. I didn't think he would walk away. Nobody did. But did I know and did many of us who had followed the team and been part of covering them over the course of those seasons in the early 90s, did we all realize that this was beginning to wear on him? I think he handled all of the demands beyond the demands of being the best player in the game, all the peripheral stuff, the press, uh, the celebrity status, uh, having to, as he notes um, in the most recent episode, uh, it looks like a very nicely appointed hotel room, but he can't go out like the average person could. I thought he handled all of that about as well as anybody possibly could, but it was clear that it was wearing on him. But if I had to guess, if you'd asked me at the conclusion of the finals against the Suns, what's going to happen? He's going to go away someplace, as isolated as possible. He's going to play golf. Maybe he'll bet on one thing or another because he likes to do that. And then he'll come back fresh for training camp. But I was wrong. We all were wrong. They did talk about the gambling. There's always going to be that kind of urban legend that he, you know, when his father was murdered, that, that it was because of a gambling debt, and that's why he had to leave basketball. Do you think they dive into that here in the last four episodes? I think they do, uh, just based on the questions they asked me. Um, and that's all I know. I'm watching all this as it unfolds, just as you are. I have no idea what's in the next four episodes. You can guess about the subject matter, but the particulars, uh, I don't know. But based on what they asked me, and they did ask me about uh, that very same question you just brought up, I would think that it's uh, it's going to be a, a particular focus, because they touched upon it, not just touched upon it, they got into it in some depth uh, in one of the episodes last night, so I'm sure they'll return to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they will as well. Did you know of the dysfunction within, or the or the lack of a positive relationship between the front office and Jordan. Like there was, there's some talk of it, but again, you're covering at the time and sports were covered differently than too as well. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, uh, we, we, we were before the, we, we didn't have some of the style of commentary we have now. Did you know about the, 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 the disconnect between not just Phil, but the players in the front office? I did during the second repeat. In 91, 2, and 3, the first repeat, I didn't have much sense of that. You know, you try to keep up with things by reading uh, the relevant columnists and the relevant stories coming out of the Chicago media. Uh, but I'm living in St. Louis or hosting shows from the studio during most of the season in New York. So I wasn't around it on a day-to-day basis like the Chicago media people were. So I, I had an inkling about it, but it didn't seem to me at that early stage Ninety-one, two, three. didn't seem to me like it was a major story. It did seem like something that was looming in 96 and 7, and in 98, it was right there. It was the elephant in the room the entire season. Bob Costas joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Um, w- what about the the element of Jordan's competitiveness, right? Like, um, it was your voice... Uh, last night who pointed out, you know, that there was a lot of, a lot of people at, at the time. And, and I, I, I saw some of it kind of downplayed on social media in terms of Clyde Drexler's rise, but I'm sitting here looking mm-hmm. at the sports illustrated that has Clyde on the cover where th- there was a question who's better Clyde or Michael Jordan. Um, Magic said, look, I went into his house the night before and he said, I got some for this guy. What, what was that like to be a part of, to watch Jordan, line up whoever the enemy was or the created enemy was and take him out time and again? 
Doug, this is not an original observation on my part. It's been said thousands of times because apparently it's true. He would take an actual flight and he would magnify it many times over. But he also could create an imaginary slight and use that as motivation. Clyde Drexler is one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. He's gracious and he's classy. He doesn't blow his own horn. He was a wonderful player. And coincidentally, Jordan's teammate only, what, a month, month and a half later on the Dream Team after they met in the finals in 1992. There were a lot of people saying during that 92 final between the Trailblazers and uh, the Bulls that Drexler was the second best player in the game. I don't remember, maybe you do, but I don't remember anyone really contending that he had overtaken or pulled even with Michael, but that he was number two. But that was enough. That was enough. Michael, in his head, didn't just want to win. He wanted to win like secretariat in the Belmont, so that whoever was second was closer to last than they were to him. So even the notion that somebody might be moving up a little bit closer to him was enough to fuel him. And Drexler had an uneven final. He did have a couple of good games, as I remember. And I recall that one of the games in Portland, our opening, before we came on the air live, our um, produced opening was all about Clyde Drexler and all about how the expectations, he has to be aware of them, even though he, he wears it lightly and we had shots of him smiling and joking with his teammates, but that there's a different kind of focus on him now than there was even at Houston, where he was a collegiate star, or earlier in his career with the Trailblazers. This is different, and his team is looking to him to rise to the occasion. Bob Costas joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. What was it like when he walked away? First time? First time. Well, I'll tell you how big it was. It was a weekday afternoon, um, early afternoon New York time. And when we broke into it, we being NBC News, broke into regular programming early in the afternoon. It wasn't me. I was part of it. But it was Tom Brokaw. Doesn't that tell you how big it was? Yeah. Tom Brokaw came on the air. This was a news item. It wasn't just for basketball fans. This wasn't Sports Center. It was NBC News with Tom Brokaw. And then he turned to me and I said whatever I said. But the, the fact that Brokaw came in and broke into it like it was something of national import tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Okay. So what was it like when he came back? Because in the during the time in which he was gone, there was the OJ chase, right, during the NBA finals between the Rockets and the Knicks. And then, of course, there was the Rockets with the Orlando Magic when he came back. But mm-hmm. before he came back, um, did, did you, like, do you, you covered baseball. Obviously, he was failing in baseball. Did you, did you know? What, what was that all like? There was a lot of speculation that once he's gotten this out of his system, his father's death, the unreal demands upon his time and the circus that had surrounded his life, once he gets this out of his system, he's going to come back to the NBA, isn't he? We didn't know for sure. And then you remember there wasn't much ballyhoo. Two words, faxed, a fax in 1995. I'm back. And there he was. And for whatever reason, I can't recall why, I had that weekend off from the NBA on NBC. I have no idea why. But Dick Ebersol called me. I was at home in St. Louis. Get to Indianapolis. We need you to host this game. 
uh, because it's going to be, you know, super important. And so I, I did, and I don't know what they'll play from what we did, <clears throat> but we had an unusual opening that was devoted entirely to Michael Jordan, and then Marv Albert and I were discussing whether there's anything that would rival this. Uh, other players had come back, players had come back from military service, uh, in individual sports. Ali was exiled uh, for a long time, and then he came back and reclaimed the heavyweight championship. It was, it was a discussion, <clears throat> pardon me, about the whole history of sports. So even then, Michael Jordan, had he never played another game, was in the conversation as among the most significant athletes in American sports history, because that's what we were comparing him to. You, as you, you brought up Muhammad Ali, and there was an interesting part uh, last night. Bob Costas, our guest on Fox Sports Radio. There was an interesting part last night where they talked about the fact that he had that the phrase that's ever been repeated, Republicans buy sneakers too, and he... He, he 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 didn't downplay it. He just said, "Look, I'm uh, you know like I'm not really a political guy. I'm not not into social social justice as 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 much as the other guy." Um, I I kind of think that's a fair way of looking at it because it's because becomes so divisive. The second you take even the most reasonable stance in politics, you become divisive. On the other hand, there mm-hmm. is something about being the most successful black man from North Carolina, and this was. A uh, North Carolina um, uh, gubernatorial—I mean, a senatorial race or whatever it was. So, uh, how did you think that came off in watching it through a lens of 2020? Even then, I'll tell you. Well, let's go to 2020. As per your question, Michael handles it very well in the Last Dance. He's not defensive. He owns it. I wasn't an activist. I was a basketball player. But he also makes a very significant point. And all of us can testify to this. It happens more often than someone who's not involved in the media might think. You don't get the context. Did he say Republicans buy sneakers too? Yes, he acknowledges he said it. But I believe him when he says he said it in a jocular setting, like somebody might have said a teammate, hey, why didn't you endorse Harvey Gann? Hey, <laughs> Republicans buy sneakers too. It's an offhanded thing. Everybody laughs at the joke. I, I believe that that could be a very honest um, depiction of what went on. But even then, here's what I thought. And I know some people out there will say, stick to sports, keep the politics out of it. But some things come down not to political differences. They are moral questions. It wasn't just that Harvey Gantt was a black man running for Senate. Jesse Helms was a right. virulent racist. Yes. It isn't a matter of Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. He was an effing racist. This was a moral question. And I think it could have been isolated from the normal political rabble out there. And Michael could have stepped up in that instance. Am I holding it against him that he didn't? No. He's had such a, such a significant and overarching life. That's just one of many chapters. But you could make a very good case that this was... This was an area where even someone who was apolitical should have made an exception. It's a, it's a great point. Bob Costas, our guest here on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Um, the end. And and look, I know he came back to play for the Wizards, um, and he probably shouldn't have. On the other hand, there were some moments where you're like, geez, the guy can, can, can still play. Um, did you know it was the end before it was the end? You know, it's, 
it's almost like an afterthought that he came back and played with the Wizards. It is. Uh, he had such a competitive Jones going all the time. I understand why he had to do it, or he felt he had to do it. Approaching 40, he may have been 40 when he played his last game in the NBA. He was still, while he wasn't the Michael Jordan we knew, he was still a darn good player. So it wasn't like he couldn't do it. Uh, no athlete in American team sports has ever had a better final act than what Michael Jordan had in 1998. And I really believe that in the minds of most people, in the public imagination, that really is the end. And what happened with the Wizards is just a postscript. The story really begins and ends. Well, it begins in North Carolina, and it ends in Salt Lake City in June of 98. And 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 it, obviously, as perfect an ending as there could be, it wasn't just the shot, right? Like people forget he scored uh, on a drive. He made two free throws. Then he had the steal over Karl Malone, who of course won an MVP that people thought Jordan should have won, right? They had Jordan MVP fatigue, and so uh, Malone won one. And then then he hits the game winning shot, and you have the iconic follow through. I know John Elway finished winning a Super Bowl and he you know he goes airborne in but he wasn't peak John Elway I know Peyton Manning won obviously he was not peak Peyton Manning um there have been some others others walk out on top if if you and I would conclude that that's really the end of his career you know way more about the history of sports than pretty much any human being I know on earth especially anyone who's been on air is that the most iconic finish to a career I think so, at least of the sports that I have followed. Ted Williams famously, legendarily, hit a home run in his last at-bat at age 42. But it wasn't in the World Series. Right. It wasn't even nationally televised. It was a dark, dreary day at Fenway Park with about 10,000 people in the stands. More recently, Derek Jeter wrote a perfect final act. Walk-off base hit at Yankee Stadium. They did go to Boston, and he took a few at-bats, and his last official at-bat was an infield single. But in the public imagination, that's the final moment for Derek Jeter, and it is great. But the Yankees didn't even make the playoffs that year. When you think of what was at stake, the game wasn't even tied. He took possible defeat and turned it into victory. He did everything that you mentioned preceding, the two free throws, the driving layup, the steal on Malone. No one else even touched the ball on the last two possessions for the Bulls. Driving layup, there was, didn't get it off a pass, took the inbound, went in, scored. Then when he stole the ball from Malone, he brought it out of the backcourt, he took it to where he wanted to take the shot, he makes the shot, it's classic in every way. I can't think of anything that matches that. And you know, a lot of people have said, and understandably, what the heck, Jerry Krause, what could you possibly be thinking? Your own ego and insecurities get the best of you, you're going to break up the team. Why didn't Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, overrule him? All of that is perfectly valid, but in my mind, it's better that it ended the way it did. Did you really want to see them ultimately lose at some point, and he walks off the court having lost in a final or an earlier playoff series? And what could be better even if they added another title or even two more titles? Could the script be as good as that? He leaves. You know, there's an old, he's still very much with us, and he looks great for 57 or whatever he is. But you know that old trope about people who leave us and we've never seen them age? James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, Roberto Clemente. We never really saw Michael Jordan age as an athlete. The stuff with the Wizards, no one even has much of, a, of an image of that in their heads. They've got that last game against Utah in their heads. And so for the purpose of legend, 
for the purpose of mystique, it's actually better that it ended there than have them go for a seventh or eighth. Bob, if I ever have there ever a documentary about my life, I hope you narrate it. In the meantime, I really <laughs> appreciate you being our guest. Uh, look forward to seeing more of you on the last four episodes, and we appreciate you spending some time with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Thanks a lot, Doug. Take care. Uh, it's the great Bob Costas joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. 
someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Andy Dalton, who of course has been the starting quarterback for the Bengals for the most part, this year some is the exception, since he was drafted in the second round of the TCU, he was released and then 48 hours later signed by the Dallas Cowboys. Contract details, one year, $3 million deal. Should we point out that Dalton lives in DFW? They, as you heard from Dan Beyer, released Cooper Rush, who was one of their backup quarterbacks. And so Dalton becomes the old head mentor quarterback in the quarterback room. Des Bryant on Twitter, nothing against Andy Dalton because I think he's a great player, but the Cowboys are extremely out of line. Pay Dak. I watched the Cowboys pay Tony twice without a winning record. I guess the Cowboys are viewing the quarterback position as a plug-in piece because of a dominant offense. Okay, here's the thing, Des. They offered him a huge contract. It is not as much as he wants. And the offer, by the way, I believe is still there. If not, it's franchise tag, which is like $30 million. Okay? So the idea that, well, they paid... Tony Romo and he hadn't won. Now Dak has won. By the way, it's actually the perfect analogy to what I've been saying all along, which is Tony Romo's a better, has been, will be a better quarterback than Dak Prescott, regardless of his record. Right? Because if you want to say that quarterback record is the reason you pay a guy, well, then he's coming off a year where they didn't finish above 500. They didn't make the playoffs in the worst division in football. If he's responsible for the wins, why is he responsible for the losses? Anybody? Does anybody want to help me there? Okay. Didn't think so. And it's not like they've said like, hey, no, we're not offering you any money. Worst case scenario, he makes $30 million this year and is a restricted free agent next year. Could be franchise tag again. That's worst case scenario. I mean, I guess they could release him, but why would you at this point? And when you say nothing against Andy Dalton, he's a great player. Andy Dalton's not a great player. He's making $3 million. That changes nothing. And if you want to say, well, that is, good, um, th- that is going to prohibit the Cowboys. Okay, Marcus Mario is making $7.5 million. $7.5. Taysom Hill just signed a deal that makes, that makes more than that. You know, go around the league. Last year, Drew Stanton made $2.78 million as a backup. That, that's the kind of money you're talking about paying a backup quarterback. Andy, Andy Dalton's a proven veteran quarterback who can start and can get you to the playoffs. Now, God forbid Dak Prescott gets hurt and you have a legitimate chance for the Cowboys to still make the playoffs. That's what you have. If you don't and you have Cooper Rush, you have no idea what you have. None. Zero. A.J. McCarron last year, 
made $3 million as a backup quarterback with the Houston Texans. Nate Sudfeld, $3.1 million. Colt McCoy, $3.38 million. Brian Hoyer with the Colts made $5 million. Chase Daniel made six with the Bears. Tyrod Taylor, I believe, this year is going to make seven and a half to be the starter. He made six last year as a backup quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater, 7.25 last year. And of course, you know, Eli Manning became the backup and he was making 17 million. For, for some reason, we look at this like from the player perspective, like one, it doesn't limit how much they can pay Dak. Two, it's really smart business. When did we when did we get into the when did we get to this place where anything that's done with the idea of helping the franchise is a bad thing? When did that happen? When was that moment? Because you sound like the dumbest human being on earth when you don't have the wherewithal to go like, wait, we can get Andy Dalton for $3 million to be our backup? You know? Like it's, it, it's probably going to happen, but Dak hasn't signed the franchise tag. They had to start the season, and Dak right now has shown that he doesn't want to participate in Zoom calls. But you, you have to have a second quarterback. Right? You have to have one. If not for having a second quarterback, you wouldn't have had Dak Prescott. By the way, their backup was hurt. That's why he was now his offensive coordinator. Who, you know, that's why he got the job to begin with. But this idea that like somehow $3 million is some crazy amount of money that limits what you can pay Dak Prescott. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say anything about Dak. If anything, it says, hey, look, we're if you have ever had to take a day game off. Remember last year, he had some injuries because he'd been banged around before they played the Philadelphia Eagles. Now you got a chance to put a guy in who's actually won football games, big ones before. And oh yeah, by the way, this is what starters do. They want to stay in the league. They take substantially less and they take on this advisor role, this mentor role. And if you ask yourself, what does that have to do with Colin Kaepernick? I said, this is why Cam Newton's not in the league. I call this thing mid-season. Camden's not playing for $3 million, $1 million, $3 million. No chance. He thinks he's a starter. Which, by the way, when Colin Kaepernick visited, the only team he ever visited was the Seattle Seahawks. He came out and said, I'm, I still believe I'm a starter. And the Seahawks said, he still believes he's a starter. We think he's a starter. That's why we maybe couldn't come to terms. Being a starter doesn't just mean you're not going to start. It means, or saying that you're going to start, it also means getting paid starter money. Which for a veteran is upwards of fifteen to twenty million dollars at the minimum, let alone the maximum being in the forties. So if you don't have a job, I mean, think about that right now. Any, I mean, thirty million Americans are going to not have their job by the end of this month. Thirty million. So imagine walking in, going like, "Yeah, here, here's the deal, man. I know I don't have a job, but I want to be paid top of the market." They're like, mm, "Don't care how good you are, pass." That's the reality to it. But we've, we've gotten in this weird place where the, the team protecting themselves in a, in a sport where guys are injured often. If, if that's not, you better have a quality backup. So do I disagree with Des Bryant? Yes. He doesn't even know how much that's going rate. That's, that's probably below market for the red rifle. And you end up getting yourself a quality backup while you don't know what the future for the starter holds. But it's not like a leverage play. It's not leverage. Andy Dalton, $3 million is not a leverage play. That doesn't leverage Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's contract is still there for him to sign. 
That's an insurance. That's you're basically buying insurance on a guy who doesn't really get hurt. But just in case, would you rather it be Cooper Rush or Andy Dalton? Of course, you'd rather be Andy Dalton. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.